helicopter, we have um, Cuba Libre, but Cuba Libre is very simple, it's raw, cola, and limo, and appeared in the last one, uh, Mojito. Okay. And later, the bean will be ready for to be roast. Here, we have roast bean coffee, so if you want to try it to eat, you can do it. Please, you can smell. This is not a luxury vacation. This is a survival adventure. <laughs> There were lots of different things we were able to do over the course of 10 days, including watching a cannon shooting presentation, hiking in Las Teresas, visiting a towel garden, and zip lining over a lake. But we are going to just focus on a few of the activities we experienced, such as shopping in markets, going to a tobacco farm, riding in old school convertible cars, and snorkeling in the coral reefs. I wanted to start this episode with shopping in the markets because as tourists, Everyone was looking forward to seeing what kind of cool souvenirs and gifts we could buy to show our friends and families once we came back home. With that being said, we're going to start this off with Beth Daskings talking about what it was like shopping in the markets. Well, it was kind of like the downstairs. Downstairs was really hectic and chaotic, and there were a lot of people like hollering at you like, lady, lady. Um, and just so much going on, and it was a lot of little trinket kinds of things, like, you know, maybe shirts and uh, musical instruments. I saw a lot of those. Um, maybe cigar, little things you carry cigars in, but kind of like little trinket sorts of things. But then you went upstairs, and it was all this artwork. It was amazing, all this artwork that was upstairs of that particular market in Havana. What are some of the things you bought while shopping in the market? First time we went to the market, um, I'm not sure I bought anything, but this, I wanted to go back before we came home and I had more money to spend. So we went back to the market and I bought a, a couple of really nice art drawing sorts of things, um, bought those at the market. And then when we were at that little community, that uh, artist community, you know, with the tile, Mm -hmm. I bought a really nice piece there at their little market. My favorite part about shopping in the markets was the ability to haggle with the people trying to sell their items to you. We were told by Sylvia that in Cuba, if you were able to, try your best to work down the prices and not pay full price for anything because every price in the market is negotiable. Let's hear if Beth did any haggling of her own while shopping in the market. Well, it was interesting because um, I wanted to do that, but then I felt like, gosh, these people are just trying to get a buck, you know, and live. And then I thought, well, I'm not going to haggle with them. I'll just pay whatever. But when I was getting ready to leave, I had been looking for a particular wooden statue with a mama and a baby. And it was so funny because it was like, $40, she told me. And I said, okay. And then she said, okay, $35. And I said, all right. And she said, for you, $30. <laughs> so it went down, to, you know, 10 bucks, and I didn't say a word. So one place where prices could not be negotiated was the tobacco farm. Our group was able to tour a tobacco farm where we learned about how the farmers grew and stored their tobacco leaves to dry and even taught us how to roll cigars. And at the end of our tour, in cigar rolling demonstration, they had cigars, 
honey, and coffee beans to sell to all of us. Here we have roast bean coffee, so if you want to try to eat, you can do it. Please, you can smell. As you heard, the bottle of coffee beans cost $12, and they were selling different sized cigars for different prices. But I wanted to have Meg ask you talk about what and how much they were able to sell to anyone who tours the farm. Well, as a um, political science person, I was more curious and asked more questions about how they interact with the Cuban government um, as far as like their crop yield. And what he told me was that they have, they like legally have to give 90% of their crop yield to the government. But the 10% is like, obviously the stuff that we bought is, um, part of the 10% of the tobacco yield that they get to keep and sell privately. I thought they didn't get to keep any of it, which is why I was kind of like confused that they were um, selling cigars there. Um, but he told me that they only um, have to turn over 90%, which with the amount of tobacco that they grow there, we saw it in that like in the house, in the little um, house thing where all the tobacco is dried. Mm -hmm. That's like a crazy amount of tobacco. And that's like, I guess, just one area where they keep it. He said that there was another one, like, on the other side of some field. Because I asked him, I was like, is this all of it? And he was like, no, and then pointed somewhere. He did tell me that, like, the 10% is more than we would think of, like, 10%. Because when you think of, like, 10% of somebody's, like, crop yield, and especially because it it's not a huge farm, um, it seems like it wouldn't be that much. But, I mean, obviously, they had enough to give us bundles like I bought 10 of the not even the smallest size of cigars and right. a lot of people did that did you buy anything else from the farm yeah I bought cigars and um honey the honey is insanely good we are almost done with the bottle and I like taste tested it compared to just like honey from the grocery store and it tastes like so much different it tastes it definitely tastes like more earthy obviously um and it's not necessarily like it is sweet obviously because it's honey it's just a different type of like i don't know it doesn't feel like artificially sweet like regular honey does the honey was extremely good i had also bought a bottle and i believe the reason the honey tasted really earthy like meg said and a different kind of sweet you may be used to in stores is because everything was completely natural the farmers used no chemicals or pesticides of any kind in the growing process, and they just bottle what they have without adding any sweeteners or sugars to the honey before selling it. And then in regards to the cigars bought on the farm, we were told that they could be brought back to the state because they were privately owned cigars and not the state-mandated ones with a Cuban seal. So members of the group who chose to buy and bring back cigars from the farm were able to do so. Oh, those are the convertible cars here to pick us up for our drive through the city in the Havana Rainforest. I'm going to go because I was in the first car, but Anicia Martin will stay back and let you know how the ride is. The first car that I was in, I don't think there was anything that like stood out to me. It did look like an older car, like 
you know, a car from the 50s, 60s, like, things like that. But, like, the second car that I was in was, like, uh, it was red. It had, like, this white trim. And then I, I think the wheels were white, too. I thought that one stood out because it looked, even though it looked older, it still looked newer compared to some of the ones that, you know, look like they had been driven for a very long time. The first person that we were with, he, like, explained a lot of the places to us. So that was a nice touch to the the car ride. I didn't like how it was about to rain, though, because I was like, we're screwed if it rains right now. But yeah, overall, I liked uh, the ride in the city because it was places that, you know, we hadn't been to yet. But like I said, the guy that was driving our car, he did explain a lot of those places to us. Our group was riding in classic Chevrolet convertibles from the 1950s. The car I rode in was lime green with chrome finishings and rims and a white interior. The driver said that everything about the car was completely original, from the engine to the interior. No changes were made of any kind to the vehicles, so it was like we were riding through the city in old school luxury. And like Anicia said at the end, the sky was looking like it was ready to open up on us while we were in the cars. We had actually got out of the cars and into the restaurant we were eating dinner at probably two to five minutes before it started to just pour down rain. Speaking of rain, I think it would be a perfect time to talk about a different type of water we experienced while in Cuba, which was the ocean. We were able to go snorkeling in the coral reefs, and the water was so clear and blue, it was nothing compared to the beaches I'm used to at home. Let's have Dr. Finney tell you about all the sea life members of the group were able to spot while snorkeling. Well, we were in Trinidad. Uh, they took us out on a catamaran boat to a reef, um, you know, a few kilometers off the shore to go snorkeling. And we saw um, some really, really cool fish, actually. Um, I uh, saw a puffer fish, um, and I tried to get low enough that I could touch it or make it puff, but um, I, it was deeper than I was able to get with a snorkel on. And uh, there were some folks that saw eels. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe these are not extraordinary, but they are certainly extraordinary um, compared to my experience, and that was pretty neat. And I couldn't believe how clear and blue the water was while we were out there. Could you talk about the water? I mean, first of all, it was it was so clear, right? The water was so clear. You could see, or I could see, you know, 10, 15, 30 feet without any uh, problems at all. So floating on top with the snorkels on over the reef, I could look in any direction and see you know, fish and reef and the boat and other, you know, other folks on our trip swimming around. Amazingly, right? The water was just so clear. And then was there anything that stood out to you about the actual reefs and the underwater plants that you were able to see while you were snorkeling? I um, don't know a ton about coral reef biology or biology in general. Um, The My understanding is that coral reefs in general are endangered right they're they're in real uh they're they're really struggling because of pollution and i understand that cuba is actually a pretty bad contributor to that kind of pollution because they don't have 
the kinds of uh, resources that we do to take care of the environment. Um, so, you know, that is really a concern in terms of the health of the reef and in terms of the um, continue, continued viability of the reefs, which is something that I think that we probably ought to think more about. Opportunities like this to visit coral reefs are increasingly scarce and uh, being able to, to sort of see that uh, vegetation firsthand was a, a pretty special experience. There were so many extraordinary experiences we were all fortunate enough to experience while in Cuba. I truly wish there was more time to be able to tell you about each and everything we got to do during the 10 days we were away. But I hope you all enjoyed the shopping, trip to the tobacco farm, riding through Havana in classic convertibles, and snorkeling just as much as we did. I look forward to you joining us again for the next episode of the Cuban Excursion. Before we go, I would like to thank Emory Henry College and the International Studies Program, Calibri Travel and Tours, the Amigo Band, and Dr. Finney in the Media and Communications Department. Until next time, I'm Anthony Smith, Jr., saying hasta luego.